Workers' Comp Matters, the podcast dedicated to the laws, the landmark cases, and the people that make up the diverse world of workers' compensation. Here are your hosts, Judd and Alan Pierce. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Workers' Comp Matters. My name is Judson Pierce of Pierce Pierce and Napolitano in lovely Salem, Massachusetts. We are here today to discuss issues relative to the workers' comp system, as we often do. We have a guest on, and the topic today concerns HIPAA, the Healthcare Portability Act, uh, which was signed into law 27 years ago, if you could believe it, and the problems that it causes attorneys and the clients that we protect and and, uh, advocate for and and are un- dying, seeking to get medical records and and medical notes to make our cases. So our guest today is very active in that arena. Uh, His name is Jared Vishni. Jared Vishni is a technologist and entrepreneur with over 30 years of domestic and international experience with Fortune 500 enterprises, as well as small to medium-sized companies. He holds a dual economics and business degree from UCLA And his involvement in the healthcare and legal industry began 14 years ago when he founded Arctrieval, a business providing health information management software to hospitals and doctor's offices. So, Jared, without any further ado, uh, welcome to Workers' Comp Matters. Thank you, Judson. Thank you so much for having me on today. I look forward to uh, hopefully sharing some information that will be valuable to your audience and help tackle some of those issues that they're having to advocate for their clients and the blockage and the roadblocks they face because they can't get the medical information to substantiate a claim or case. So happy to be here. Absolutely. I When I uh, knew that you were coming on, I asked some attorneys in our office about the lengths of time that they encounter in their record requests. They, they just shook their heads and they said, 30 days is awesome. 90 days is quite often the case. 60 is kind of the norm. How do you do it? How does the company gather records and get them to a lawyer's office in 30 days or less? Well, I think I think the first point is to set the stage that obtaining the medical and billing information to substantiate a claim or case is, is critical. And it's the Achilles heel of workers' comp claims and cases, as well as personal injury claims and cases, that it just takes too long, takes too much effort, and it costs too much. And the problem that you're facing is most firms, and we've talked to over a thousand, 75% of them wait more than three months to get records, over 50% wait more than four months. And it's really not their fault because, as you mentioned, back in 1997, when the HIPAA rules were first passed, it was like a great, great new world. It was designed to unify things and, ma- and streamline things and get information flowing faster to authorize people. Well, it kind of had the opposite effect because everybody became super risk adverse because the penalties for making a mistake are high and they're significant. So rather than opening things up, it clamped things down. The problem is, is everybody says, oh, 30 years ago, prior to the HIPAA authorization, it was the wild, wild west of getting records. And you had to fill out different forms for different hospitals. Some didn't, some had them, others didn't. And HIPAA came along and unified that. And everybody said, okay, how do I get my records? Well, you got to fill out this HIPAA authorization. The problem with the HIPAA authorization that we're all used to is it's part of the HIPAA Act from 1997. And it relates to CFR, 45 CFR, 
164.508. And what it says is it defines how a request needs to be structured and the authorization, how it needs to be structured. The problem with that is there's no guidelines or mechanics or timeframes associated with that third-party HIPAA authorization. The providers are in control of the process. They can take as long as they'd like. And even states that have requirements for entities to respond to a specific time frame, they're often ignored because there's real no enforcement action. The key is to use a different part of the HIPAA privacy rule. It's section 164.524. And it's referred to as a patient access request or individual right of access. And what it states is, I, Jared, for example, can tell you, or tell, not you, but tell the healthcare provider, I want you to send an electronic copy of my records to Judson. They have to do that in 30 days. If they don't, now they face potential investigations and fines and penalties from the Office of Civil Rights for not complying with the individual right of access that I issued. It is my right to access this information. It is my right to have this delivered to a designated third party. And that's really the key. We're moving away from a permission-based model that's permissive that leaves the provider in control and fundamentally to a directive model where the individual has the right to direct that covered entity to do what they're supposed to. That's really the key in the approaches and the methodology is to stop using those third-party HIPAA authorizations and start using individual right of access requests, which are enforceable and carry some pretty nasty fines and penalties from the Office of Civil Rights if the providers don't do what they're supposed to. Fascinating. I didn't know of that specific part of the act that would allow for an individual to really maintain his or her rights, uh, which is probably one of the main reasons this law was passed in the first place, right? Well, it was. I mean, it goes back, it was contemplated that we need to provide access and it shouldn't be, there shouldn't be blocks. So for example, and it has real teeth to it, Banner Health here in Arizona was fined $200,000 and put on a two-year corrective action plan for not complying with two of these individual right of access requests. They basically dragged their heels in providing this information to the designated third party and got slapped with a huge fine. And not just- How long was that delay? Do you know? I think it was, they were initially notified. I'd have to go dig it out specifically. But if I recall, they were 30 days late. They were notified by the Office of Civil Rights to comply. They still didn't comply. And then after 90 days, they were slapped with the, they did the investigation, but they were 90 days late Mm. on providing the information. So it's got real teeth to it. Yeah. The Office of Civil Rights, you mean it's a federal- uh, agency that would pursue this, right? Not a state office Correct. of civil it's, rights. Correct. It's, it's federal level. So it's Office of Civil Rights is a department within the Health Department of Health and Human Services. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a regulatory issue of commerce. It's a civil rights issue because mm-hmm. it is the individual's rights to do that. And that's really the key and fundamental difference between what we see other firms doing and what we're doing. And what we are doing to help educate and change the landscape and unlock access to those, really it's called, the, the overarching term is protected health information, which could be records or bills or anything related to the past, present, or future care of the individual, as well as any of the financial transactions around that care. Part of the reason for this law was also, right, that it's a privacy law. It's to protect people's private 
medical information. In this age that we're living in now, where there's so much instant access to medical records, even on your own personal devices through healthcare portals, one can possibly get his or her office visit note from their PCP within minutes after the office visit. How does that change the model of what you you all are are doing? Well, there's there's two parts of it. So there's in my background, just so you know, in addition to what you said to folks, is I ran a release of information company for 10 years. And we were working in hospitals providing the information out to people who needed it, whether it be insurance companies, attorneys, other doctors' offices. So we and I have personally seen both sides of the equation. And what you're looking at is the information that comes through the patient portal is not necessarily the full legal medical record for the individual. It's, like you said, a summary of the care. It might be lab reports. It may be notes, but it may not. And in most cases, it is not the full legal medical record. In some instances, the information that comes through the portal is sufficient to justify a claim or case, and that's all you you may need. In other instances, you need the full clinical notes, Mm -hmm. and you don't want to miss anything. You want the full legal medical record. And that's really where the portals are different. The portals are designed for continuity of care and somebody being able to take that information, going to the next provider and saying, hey, look, here's my basic information. Here's my basic, here are my lab reports. Here's what the last doctor said. Okay, great. They may still want more information that's not necessarily available through those portals. So there is a difference in the information set itself. That's interesting. All right, why don't we at this point take a quick break for a word from one of our sponsors and we will be right back with Jared Vishni. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Mara's Case is the number one law practice management solution tailor-made for workers' compensation firms. Streamline your practice with Maris Case's easy-to-use all-in-one platform. You're empowered to breeze through case and document management, workers' compensation forms, e-filing, calendaring, and invoicing. Learn how Maris Case can increase your firm's efficiency today. Visit MarisCase.com. That's M-E-R-U-S-C-A-S-E.com. And we're back. At this point in our conversation, Jared, I'd love to ask you a little bit about the disconnect uh, between document management technology and legislation governing medical record production. What's happening on the state and federal levels to to correct the issue? Well, I think to understand what's happened, a quick history lesson makes sense. And not so much of a history lesson, but if you go back 30, 40 years ago, most records and information were stored on paper documents stored in charts, stored in file rooms. And that's how people primarily stored medical records as individual files. And if you needed something, you you would take it out and then you would look at it. And then along came technology. And now we're starting to store things in systems. Initially, it was just images of those paper documents. And that's evolved into a full electronic health record or medical record system where it's more than just 
clinical notes. There's a tremendous amount of information. What you've seen, though, is what used to be documented on a, let's say, three-page nursing flow sheet with a lot of checkboxes is now 300 pages of records within an electronic medical record system. So you've seen an explosion of how the data is stored and also the amount of data. It used to be telemetry data like temperatures and vitals were done every half hour or whatever. Now you have continuous monitoring of those vitals and that can lead to an explosion of information as well. So what used to be documented, say, in an ER visit for, let's say, somebody was injured on the job and they cut themselves and they had stitches and they were sent home to recover, recuperate, or let's say they had a, a minor orthopedic issue with a fracture, that might be 20, 30 pages of ER notes when they were written on paper. Now that same ER visit is two to 300 pages. So you have this proliferation mm-hmm. of documents and information. Well, what was going on initially is, again, it was the wild, wild west of charging for records is one hospital will charge a dollar page, this other hospital will charge something else. And the states, for the most part, legislated rates for, okay, you're not going to um, have predatory business practices in charging for copies of these records. It's silly that you're charging $50 for a single page. All kinds. Of, so they normalized it. And that was based upon the paper records back in most of the legislation came in mid 80s ish, early 80s to kind of corral this. And then what happened is the technology advanced. We're storing these things. And it, to get a copy of those records, somebody physically had to get up from their desk, go back into a dirty file room, potentially. Well, it wasn't that dirty because they were medical records. Get the file, take it apart, photocopy it, reassemble it, and then send that copy to somebody else. Mail it out. That kind of made sense that it was 50 cents, 75 cents per page. And then it might be $20, $30, $40 for that chart. Well, when you start applying that to two or 300 pages, it gets expensive very quickly. And what you're doing is people are no longer physically working with this information. They, it's all electronic. Now, there's still work involved that they got to find it, they got to search for, they got to check it. But the amount of labor involved is significantly reduced. So you have a situation where legislation is still based upon those paper records, but they're applying it to electronic data. And that's where these disconnects are, where you may have a 15,000 page chart and a copy service will want, or a hospital will want $10,000 for that. So what we're seeing is, we're seeing on a federal level, there was a notification to modify the HIPAA privacy rule that would have enforced a cap on the production of medical records being delivered to a third party. That has been delayed and delayed, and the current final date for the final action is now December 2024, with effective sometime in June of 2025. In the meantime, what's happening is a lot of these states, and a, a lot, it's a lot of the trial lawyer associations say, hey, this is silly. We shouldn't be paying $500 for records that are coming to me on a CD or downloaded from a website. So we're starting to see states take up the cause and see legislation enacted to control the cost of the medical electronic copies of medical records. For example, uh, Nevada recently enacted a law back in on October 1st that limits the copy of an electronic record to not more than $40. Ohio put a similar law on the books that it's $50. And Utah has one that limits it to $150. Arkansas is $75. So we're starting to see these caps come in and people realizing that the cost of the records are crazy. 
especially in some cases, I don't, in workers' compensation cases, sometimes the records come from industrial commissions or they're required to provide them from the employer. So you don't face some of these issues, but they're still dragging their feet. They're st- you may not have the cost, but eh, I'll get to it when I get to it. So that's where it ties back into that individual right of access saying, hey, you still got to do this in 30 days. We're not, even though they're free, you need to give them to me. And some of the, there's some penalties that are starting to be, I always say it, legislated on the state level as well. But really the biggest penalty comes from the federal level where the Office of Civil Rights may come in and potentially investigate and levy a fine against you. Even if there's no fine, the providers are don't want the Office of Civil Rights looking at what they're doing because just responding to an inquiry is 20 or 30 or 40 man hours of labor to get everything done. So they'd rather just, oh, okay, yeah, we're just going to get you the record. So it's a little bit of the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And especially if you know what you're doing and you know, and they know they've done something wrong, they're quick to remedy it. So they don't have to deal with a potential investigation. Was that helpful? I hope. Yeah, it, it absolutely was. It shed a lot of light on the issues that we see. Some of our providers actually use vendors, third-party vendors. I think one's called like Citrix or Psyox, and and that makes things even longer in terms of how long it takes to get them. Um, and the providers' offices that we call, they're like, "Well, we we can't send them to you. We we outsource that." And then it's up to that vendor company to charge what they want to charge for them. In some cases, yes, and and that outsourcing is a critical component. And the way we work is we advocate always that individual right of access request goes directly to the provider. If the provider chooses to outsource because it was issued to them, fine. They're more than welcome to outsource it, but they are ultimately responsible for the production of those records and the copy in the timely manner. It's not Sciox, Sharecare, MRO, Verissima, IOD, any number of those release of information providers that are going to get in trouble it's the hospital that's going to get investigated because they are ultimately the covered entity that's responsible to comply with the HIPAA privacy rules, as well as enforcing compliance with their business associates. And that excuse is no, it's not, I'm not going to go out. We don't, we don't deal with psyops. We deal with the providers. Your staff has done something wrong. And it's also a lot of these outsource companies, if you call them, unfortunately, there's a call center somewhere. The people are not well-trained. They're not incentivized to solve the problem. Going back to the provider and especially taking up the issue with the director of medical records or the chief privacy officer, and when they see that, oh yeah, we're out of compliance, that's what makes things happen. That's when you see movement. But if it's just the general vendor calls, you're not going to see it. And, and that's what people experience. It's like you, you're you're paying excessive amounts of money and getting poor service when neither should be happening. Well, let's take our final break of uh, the program and we'll be right back with Jared Vishney of Arc Trevel. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network, available wherever podcasts are found. 
And we're back uh, with Jared Vishni of ArcTrieval. The differences between, say, PI cases and workers' comp, do you, as a company, notice those differences? I mean, we, it's a particular area of the law that we concentrate in, whereby, you know, it, the, the injury has to be on the job, and there's a defined benefit system that's uh, statutory. Each state is a little bit different. How do you all, as a company dealing with many different states, handle those differences? Well, I think when you look at it, and I'm not an expert in all the rules and of procedure for all the different states, we focus on medical records and billing records and protected health information. Ideally, you want the information to flow from the information related to that injured party to whoever's advocating for them, whether it is a workers' comp case, a social security disability or public benefits claim, or personal motor vehicle accident, animal bite, medical malpractice, mass torts, you need information to advocate on behalf of that client for their claim or case. And the idea is to restore them to their status prior to whatever injury happened to them, whether somebody else is responsible for that restoration or they have their own insurance for that restoration. And I really call that is to put them like it never happened as much as possible. And the information gets blocked. Whether it's a workers' comp case and the industrial commissions in each state will often dictate who gets the records, how you get the records, and where they're located, mm -hmm. there's still that fundamental right of access. If you're not getting what you need, you can always issue a request directly to the provider that provided the services to the individual because that individual is entitled to a copy of their protected health information. The provider has to give it to them. Now, oh, well, they paid for it, so-and-so paid for it, we don't do this, we don't do that. And sometimes that comes into play. But the bottom line is, hey, I'm the individual. I'm telling you I want you to send a copy of my records either to me or to my designated third party. I don't care who's paying for it. So that can kind of help with cut through some of the red tape and roadblocks when it comes to workers' comp. And it depends also, it could be on the state level, what those rules are. But if you're getting issues or you're having issues to obtain this information, it's my right as an individual. And that and that's and that's really the core of what we're what we're establishing. And to make sure that those records flow. And issues the same. It doesn't really matter what type of case or claim it is, that access to the protected health information, because it's often locked up in a vault guarded by the HIPAA police, which I like to call them, that <laughs> <laughs> it really is, is, is they, they don't, they view their job as, oh, we're going to get in trouble. As much as they hate their jobs, they don't want to lose them. It's really weird sometimes, but they really are. It's like, well, I have to make sure that this doesn't go to the wrong person and this and that and all these other pieces. If they spend half as much time as making sure the right information got to the right person, it'd be so much better. But it's really a risk adverse culture. They're looking for things that are wrong. So my advice, and this goes to any one that's representing somebody and needs medical information to substantiate the claim or case is be clear, conspicuous, and specific in what you're looking for. Make sure there are no errors in the request that you send. And, and in some cases, HIPAA authorizations are fine. People are used to them. They know what to do with them. They'll provide, they'll get the records, but you're at the mercy of the provider. 
Individual right of access has that 30-day time frame. It's a little more aggressive. And then finally, ultimately, if you're not getting what you need, there's always the subpoena process if you have to take file an action or suit in whatever jurisdiction you happen to be in and then subpoena the records. One tip about subpoenaing records is a lot of times folks will issue them in the name of the facility. And if you're having problems getting records, issue the subpoena in the name of the chief executive officer or the chief legal officer or the chief privacy officer and have them served instead of the facility. It's amazing how fast records will appear when the CEO gets subpoenaed to deliver medical records and the medical records department isn't doing their job. It's that It truly is a thing of beauty when that gets sorted out. <laughs> that is a pro tip right there, folks. Absolutely. Couple quick follow-ups uh, sure. for you, Jerry. Before before we end, money. Uh, I've often heard that your records are your records. If you want your records in their entirety, you don't have to pay for them. You're the person whose records they belong to. Is that true? And only the lawyer would have to pay for them. Can can a plaintiff, his or herself, gather all their records for free? Uh, yes and no. So the records are not your records. The information, it's about you. So you have a right to access the information. Mm -hmm. The information is technically property of the healthcare provider because they've assembled it and they've created it, even though it's a, it's about you. And everybody thinks, well, those are my medical records. I should be able to take a copy and do what I want with it. No, they're not. It's, it's about you, but it's not your property, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Now, what's happened work is- Work product. It's, it's work product. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but individuals have rights to access that information and most of it's done very inexpensively. If you want a copy of your records in paper format, there's a cost of production for that and you'll be charged for that. It's not to get the information, but it's for the act of producing that information. If you get it electronically and you have it sent to yourself electronically, then the maximum that a facility can really charge is, let's say, upwards of $20. Let's just leave it at that. If I, Jared, request records from Good Samaritan Hospital and have them sent to me, I might be looking at a $20 fee. In most cases, most facilities will provide the records free or for a very minimal charge when they're coming to the individual. If they're going to another healthcare provider, like I would say, I, Jared, want Good Samaritan Hospital to send this to my primary care physician. That continuity of care, those documents are transmitted at no cost. As soon as a third party gets involved, that's where the costs come in. And the, the logic is, oh, well, that attorney or insurance company is going to make a lot of money off these records and this information. Therefore, we should charge them a lot. That really doesn't hold water. It was because it took effort to go photo, photocopy a 50-page chart 30 years ago, and you had labor costs, and that's what it was supposed to cover. It was not designed to be a supplemental revenue stream or a source of income for a provider or facility. It's a cost of doing business and it should be cost recovery based, not profit based. And with this disconnect again between legislation and the type of system used to store the records is introduced this arbitrage system where, oh, I can charge paper rates for electronic records. I can make a ton of money on this. And that's really where we've gotten to, and we need to get away from that. We need to get back to, okay, a reasonable charge makes sense because there mm -hmm. is a cost of providing it, but it's not supposed to be a profit center. Those records were paid for in the course of providing treatment and care to that individual. It doesn't require extra effort on the part of the doctor or the clinician or anybody else to create a copy of the records. It does take some minor labor 
from a clerical staff to search, find, and produce it in a PDF file. But it's not $10,000 for 15,000 pages that took somebody 20 minutes to compile into a PDF file. And, and what facilities do you have access to? What facilities don't uh, you have access to? When, when, when a law firm employs your company to help them in gathering records, are you sometimes at the mercy of, of who will abide and who, who won't? Well, I think the biggest thing is we're not a copy service. We are a technology company, and we provide a software tool to the in-house staff to help them obtain and manage the medical records. As such, our costs are very minimal. It's a monthly subscription fee, starts at $139 a month to issue and manage an unlimited number of requests. So access to the information, there is no restricted access through our methodology in the software. It is simply, it's federal law. You have to supply it. You can't say no to the individual right of access request. And for us, it's an entirely different way of doing this. It's, it's empowering the teams with better information, better tools to become more efficient and get their jobs done faster with less effort. And quite frankly, eliminating all the time they're having to spend on the phone calling a medical provider going, where are these records? Right. Uh, we're eliminating 80% of that time. And I'll, the only sales plug I'll give is that folks that use the individual right of access methodology combined with the software automation tool, in this case, Artrieval, they're getting 90% of their records back in 30 days without having to make all these follow-up calls because providers know they have to do it. It's not optional. It's not our fault or your, or more importantly, the injured party's fault that some hospital provider is inefficient in providing this information. They should right. not have to suffer any more than necessary because somebody didn't give them their medical records. And that's what we're really out to solve that problem. And what about human error? If someone in our office says it's a right shoulder we're looking for records on and it was really the employee's left shoulder that he or, he or she injured, is that going to delay it because, you know, we inputted it wrong? Or also, there are certain times where medical records releases need to be a little bit more um, extravagant. Say it's psychological notes. There's got to be initials on certain lines. How does, how does uh, it work with a system like yours when there are issues of human error and um, extra things on medical releases that need to be filled out? Yeah, well, the human error part is going to be introduced into anything that you ever do because we're humans and we're, we're not perfect. <laughs> we're, we're an imperfect species. So, but you ask, you want left shoulder versus right shoulder. I would not be that specific in request. I would say, I want the radiology studies and exams from these dates of service. Send me everything mm. you have in that time frame. When you start getting things like bo specific body parts, it actually is counterproductive for the request itself because a lot of the medical records departments, they're not in a position to review the records. They can't, their staff is not trained to separate right shoulder, left shoulder. Just request medical records for that particular incident and that date of service. And if, so they found something else, like there was a cut on the right leg, but you're really not interested in it they're not going to be able to separate those things out of those records. And that causes problems at the fulfillment stage. So yeah. I would avoid that. I would be specific, but general in the sense that I want radiology reports. I want radiology images. I want whatever pieces that are involved mm -hmm. in order to get the information I need. So that's, that's part one for the human error. And if there's an error, re-request it. And because we're not dealing with HIPAA authorizations, the individual right of access requests are a single-use document. If there's an error in it, reissue it, 
and they got to fulfill it because you're still looking at a 30-day time frame versus 90 or 120. So that's that piece. With respect to special provisions, the nice thing about the individual right of access request is it applies to all medical information and there's only one small carve out. The carve out is, and this has already been demonstrated, there was a case with Riverside Psychiatric Hospital in California that they said, oh, we're a mental health institution, behavioral health. The HIPAA individual right of access request doesn't apply. And they came back and they were fined by the Office of Civil Rights for not sending the information. Anything related to the past, present, and future care is subject to the request. There is one and only one carve-out, which is psychotherapy session notes. So the actual clinician's notes where they will diagnose somebody and say, hey, Joe's crazy, whatever that happens to be. They don't want that to get to Joe. Joe sees that and says, my doctor says I'm crazy. I'm going to go down there, beat him up, and show him I'm not crazy. That's to protect the the welfare and safety of the mental health workers, but everything else, assessments, medical, anything medically related, individual right of access. In those cases where the psychotherapy notes are needed, specifically the session notes, then you would issue a traditional third-party HIPAA authorization. And each state's a little bit different that they may, as you mentioned, they may need it witnessed or notarized, but that information goes to a designated third party. That information does not come back to the individual, again, to protect the safety and well-being of the mental health worker that may have a potentially dangerous client. Very helpful information. We have come to the end of our program today. I'd like to thank very much our guest, Jared Vishney of Arctrieval. I guess you said you're in Arizona, but you represent and help out firms all over the country, right? Well, yeah, and, and yes, and I appreciate that. We have firms in almost 40, over 43 states now using the platform because it is based upon federal law and it is the law of the land and it helps to normalize things and it really helps to create roadblocks. And what I would tell people is come spend, if you're interested, come spend 20, 30 minutes with us on a demonstration. Not only, it's not just to show you what we're doing, but we're happy to share additional tips and tricks that we didn't get into here. Our job, as I view it, is their attorneys and their clients they're representing that have been injured are waiting way too long to get the medical records. It wastes inordinate amounts of time for the staff to get the records. The records cost too much. And all that does is denies justice for that injured party because somebody in medical records doesn't want to do their job. I view it as our mission to solve that problem and build and ethically build a business in the process. And that's what we're up to. And we're just going to keep going down that path. Thanks so much, Jared. And thank you for all the help you've done for, for lawyers and their, and their clients. If you want to know more about Jared and his firm, Arctrieval, you can visit arctrieval.com. That's A-R-C-T-R-I-E-V-A-L.com. And for all of us here at Legal Talk Network, Workers Comp Matters, thank you for listening and go on and make it a day that matters. Take care.